The following is a Birvana audio blog. Please forgive verbal fumbles and stumbles. And after you're done listening, consider supporting the partners that make this site possible. Guinness Brewing in Dublin and Baltimore, Freem Family Brewers in Hood River, Oregon, and Rubens Brews in Seattle, Washington. The Cultural Triumph of Craft Beer The sad news that Portland Brewing is closing in a month is another echo, as if we needed one, of the troubles of the brewing industry in early 2021. Even before COVID arrived, people had grown morose about beer. Consumption has been down for decades, and the craft segment has been roughly flat for a couple years. Worse, those regional breweries that fueled the rise of craft brewing have been struggling, some closing or selling out, others spurning beer for flavored malt beverages or seltzer. Oh yes, seltzer. Its meteoric growth, becoming as large in three years as craft beer did in three decades, has created a sense of dread I've never seen before. While the volume growth hasn't come at the expense of IPAs and Italian pilsners, it looms there like a bad omen. And yet, one nice thing about being old is that I was around for a lot of the craft beer era. I started drinking beer, admittedly illegally, around the time Portland Brewing was founded, and my first encounter with microbrew came a year later. That span of time, and even 35 years, is a great frame to consider the change craft beer, have, craft beer brought. Measured by dollars or barrels, it seems modest. Somewhere around 80% of the beer sold in the U.S. is one form of mass market lager or another, though it does account for about a quarter of the dollars earned on beer. That's good, but hardly world-beating, and it's the metric we most often use to assess its impact. But culturally, craft beer has delivered seismic change. The world we inhabit has gone through a complete transformation in those 35 years. In the early 1980s, uh, in the early in the 1980s or in early 1990s, craft beer had no presence outside bars and very little presence in them. Bars themselves were different beasts, small, smoky affairs, often dingy and disreputable. There were nicer places, of course, but these weren't always receptive venues for early craft breweries. Rob and Kurt Widmer told many musing tales about their early accounts when I interviewed them for the Widmer Way. It was a different world, as Kurt describes here. Quote, initially, we thought it had to be a little more white-collar, downtown Portland, more skewed younger. Then by the late 80s, we realized we could go into a blue-collar place, pure blue-collar, where the guy's been sitting there since 5 o'clock in the morning. So they have eight taps, and all you get is one. But it didn't have to be their number one beer, as long as it wasn't their number eight beer. They were delighted. This was the state of affair 35 years ago. If you wanted one of those newfangled micros, you had to do some hunting, and if you did find a handle, there would be only one. The three, five, or eight other taps would be various brands of mass market lagers. In Oregon at the time, we had several regional breweries, which accounted for why a pub might have eight handles. In most cities, four were ample. If it were Widmer Hefeweizen, you got a wheat beer. If it was Portland Ale, you got a cream ale. That was your selection, macro or whatever micro was pouring. Americans had no idea that beer styles existed. Beer didn't come in flavors. Beer was the flavor. Here in Portland, a transition began early, thanks largely to the growing popularity of brew pubs. People interested in good beer realized brew pubs offered more than one flavor, and they became a medium for exploration. Within 10 years, the city had developed real beer culture, but it was constrained in so many ways. The very presence of craft beer seemed to bring dazzling variety, 
Now instead of a single choice, there were four or maybe six different types. We felt very daring drinking our black ales. And by the standards of a decade earlier, things had changed. Now there were beer fests and several breweries and a growing number of people who knew what IPA, porter, and pale ale was. Yet it was like beer culture kindergarten compared with the world we now inhabit, where the average bar might have had six taps 35 years ago. Today it will have a dozen at a minimum and more likely 20 or more. Where all but one of the taps was devoted to mass market lagers then, none of the taps are devoted to them now. This isn't always true nationwide, but no matter where you go, even at the bleakest airport or hotel or chainiest of restaurants, the majority of taps will be within the craft segment. The kinds of people who never dreamed of drinking beer in 1986 now occasionally have a nice saison or wit beer. In fact, if you drink beer now, you almost certainly drink craft beer at least some of the time. Beer used to be considered de classe, beneath the attention of polite society. Now it's served in every good restaurant. Big companies had enough money to keep craft beer out of expensive sports and entertainment venues, but it became too popular and ballparks and stadiums had to start offering it. Beer has also seeped into venues that never appeared before, like movie theaters. Grocery stores and gas stations sell growlers. Beer is everywhere, and that beer is overwhelming the various varieties of craft beer. Finally, drinkers are so much more sophisticated now. We beer fans may overestimate the average drinker's knowledge of terpenes or fermentation techniques, but grab a typical pub goer and send them back in time, and they'd, be, they'd know more than most experts did in 1986. As we are painfully aware, craft beer is still too often the domain of whites, and places to drink beer are sometimes comically white, white spaces. Yet the breadth of diversity among beer drinkers has expanded, expanded hugely. We wouldn't think of a thing of, about a pair of women walking into a pub and ordering pints now. In 1986, that would have been quite a sight. It's hard to imagine we were ever that retrograde, and yet that itself is a measure of how much things have changed. Portland Brewing closed down in part because it helped successfully transform the world. Beers like Matarnahan's were considered flavor bombs in their time, but they were approachable enough that tens of thousands of Portlanders gave up their Rainiers and Blitzes or Chablis for them. I have no idea what the future holds. The nature of life is change. Yet whether the culture moves away from beer or, after this pause, dives in more deeply, it doesn't change the monumental societal changes that have happened since Portland Brewing started trying to get bars to carry their beer three and a half decades ago. Sometimes you have to look down to see how far you've climbed.